Hi, I'm Cheryl, and I'm part of the Menlo Church staff, and it is so good to be with you. Just when we thought that 2020 couldn't get crazier, harder, stranger, we're finding ourselves midway through September, and we're still meeting through a screen. And I'm thankful for the screen. I'm thankful that we have this kind of technology. We're still wearing masks. And unfortunately, the coronavirus is still taking life. Kids aren't going back to school. And the thing that I seem to not be able to get my head around is the fact that black people are still being killed and police officers are being shot at. The whole West Coast seems to be on fire. And if you were counting on exercise to be the thing that kind of kept you sane, it's hard to get outside, it's hard to run, it's hard to walk, right? And people are continuing to spiral into depression and it's real. And I know this isn't a really happy way to start a sermon. But here's the thing. As a church, when we gather, we don't want to ignore or dismiss what's happening in our world. We actually want to follow the way of Jesus and we want to step into what's happening. I think of this moment in the life of Jesus that's maybe one of my favorites, where a man with leprosy comes up to Jesus. And at that time, it was believed that if you touch somebody with leprosy, that you would get leprosy. Uh, it was, if you were religious, it was believed that you would then be unclean if you touched somebody with leprosy. And Jesus has this man approach him who has leprosy. And the Bible tells us that Jesus felt this incredible compassion. And he reaches out and he touches this man and he brings healing. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna be a church of compassion, that word, uh, the language is the language of suffering with, that we would come alongside, that we would be with, that we would enter into the world in the same way that God who became flesh and walked among us, Jesus, that we would walk with him. And so these are our prayers. I don't know about you, but these have been some of my prayers recently. God, where are you? I'm thankful that the Bible gives me permission to pray those kind of prayers. God, where are you? What are you doing? What do you want from me? What do you want from Menlo Church? Who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And this is the cry of our heart that as a church, again, we would say, Jesus, how do we get in step with you? How do we walk with you in this season? And so we're entering into a new sermon series and we're calling it First Things First because we wanna align our heart with God's heart. What he puts first, we wanna put first. We want to make his priority our priority and so this is gonna get pretty practical for us. You know, our priorities and what we put first really do set the tone and the pace for who we are and what we do, right? 
What you put first determines how you parent. It determines how you do your marriage. It determines how we spend our money, how we spend our time. It determines how we speak to our neighbor, who we invite to our table. What we put first determines how we talk to and how we talk about the person that we disagree with, the person who holds a different opinion than us. And so we wanna talk about what were the priorities of God and his community and all these things. Now, I, I need to say this, because some of you are saying, you know, I'm here, somebody sent me the link to this and they told me I had to watch it or whatever. And you're kind of thinking, I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm kind of just checking this out. Or maybe you have believed in God, but if you're honest, and I love it when you're honest, you say, with all that's going on, I, I, my faith is wavering. Is there gonna be anything in this sermon series for me? Will there be anything in this sermon even now for me? And I just wanna say, and I'm biased, but I wanna say, yes. Yes, come on this journey with us because we're gonna experience who God is. We're gonna experience his heart. We're gonna come to know them, know him in deeper, deeper ways. So I say come, come on the journey. We're gonna be actually in the book of Acts uh, throughout this series. And the book of Acts is really just it's one of the books in the New Testament and it's a history of the first church that followed Jesus. And that's the question we wanna ask is, what did they put first? What were their priorities? We wanna learn from that first church. We wanna learn from their victories. We wanna learn from their defeats. We wanna learn from their mistakes. We wanna learn from their sufferings and their prayers. And at the end of this sermon today, I'm gonna invite us as a church to a really practical next step. So for now, I wanna open Acts chapter one. If you've got a Bible, grab it. The scripture will be on the screen as well. But if you've got a Bible on your phone or old school, grab your Bible. We're gonna to turn to Acts chapter one and let me pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture, for your word. And we just invite you now, as we open your word, as we consider and look at this early church, would you speak to us? Would you become more real to us? Would we experience your truth and your grace? Would we come to know you in ways that we have not yet known you? And so we say, send your spirit. Bring your word to life for us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, what we're gonna do, and I need to give you this warning as well, 
Today, I'm just gonna kind of give an overview. I'm gonna kind of just introduce where we're headed and introduce the book of Acts. Next week, we're gonna take a deeper dive. So for some of you Bible nerds that are going, why isn't she talking about this? And why isn't she talking about that? We're gonna get there, but it's gonna be next week. And so um, we're gonna talk about some of the big themes that you'll see. We're gonna talk about the ascension of Christ when he goes up into the sky and the significance of that. We're gonna talk about the coming of the spirit and the descending of the spirit on this early and new church. But uh, we're also gonna look today at what happens in between that time of Jesus's ascension and the descending of the spirit. So Acts chapter one says this, verse one, in my former book, Theophilus, and now I have to pause already, uh, what's his former book? Who's Theophilus? Who's he writing to? Well, the former book is the Gospel of Luke. Acts was written by Luke. He wrote basically two volumes. He's writing to this guy. And, and if you go to the Gospel of Luke, he starts there with an introduction to Theophilus. And he kind of says, hey, I've been... I've been talking to the eyewitnesses of Jesus, people who were with him. I've been doing my research and, and I've come to the conclusion and I want you to see that all those Old Testament prophecies, all the scripture is true in Jesus. And we call that first book a gospel. Uh, we think of that as a churchy word, as a religious word, but that word is actually a word that was taken from sec secular literature at the time. And um, it meant life-altering good news. Not just news that you hear and understand and know, but news that alters your life. And so Luke wrote that gospel, that life-altering good news of who Jesus is. And he wrote to this guy, Theophilus, because he's wanting to confirm with him, convince him of the truth of that good news in Jesus. So goes on. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, the, the leaders of this new church. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. You see, Jesus had to give convincing proof in his resurrected state because they were not looking for a resurrection. And so he's having to convince them that he's not just a ghost. He's not just resuscitated. He is alive in a new way. And he's bringing about new creation and he's giving us a hope of our own resurrection. And so Jesus was presenting those convincing proofs. Goes on. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's his message. His message is the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God over all things, all people. So verse four, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, which this is significant because again, in his resurrected body, he did really normal things. He ate and he drank and he talked and he walked, but then he also did some things that were of a supernatural nature. Seems that he walked through doors and he appeared and disappeared. But anyway, verse four, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. 
That's gonna be key. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's so much in this, but again, next week. Okay. So then verse six, they gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And they're still not totally getting it because what they're, they've been hoping for and what they're hoping for is that Jesus, and I, you probably don't know anybody like this, but they're thinking Jesus is gonna do a political overthrow, right? If, if we could just get our politics right, if, if he could put us in power, if he could put Israel in power, we're the, we're the right ones. We're the ones who are thinking right. But here's the thing. Jesus's kingdom was not just for Israel. His kingdom is for the whole world. His kingdom is for everyone. And so verse four, it says, uh, or verse, verse six, they've asked him, Lord, at this time, are you gonna restore your kingdom? Verse seven, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The disciples were looking intently into the sky as Jesus was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. And I love this. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Again, lots there, but we'll have to talk about that another point. Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem and it names all those apostles and all those leaders in the church. Verse 13, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Jesus told them to wait, to not get ahead of him, and y'all, I don't know if you're familiar with like strength finders and that kind of stuff. I am an activator. It is like number two. It's like strategic activator. And I always want to get ahead. I want to be out front. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, hey, get together and start strategizing. He just says, wait. And that's what we want to do. We want to be like this early church that waited but while they waited, they did something incredibly important. They prayed. They prayed. It says they constantly prayed. And we're gonna see them doing this throughout the book of Acts over and over and over again. The early church is praying. And so if you'll indulge me, I wanna walk us through the book of Acts because in almost every single chapter, in Acts, they're praying. There's some reference to prayer. 
So I won't read it, the whole thing. We don't have time for that. But I'm going to read what each chapter tells us about prayer, starting in Acts 1, which we just actually read. Acts chapter 1, they all join together constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter three, Peter and John went up to the temple at the time of prayer. They were going to pray. Acts chapter four, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Acts chapter six, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what the leaders of the church said. They said, what we need to give priority to, what we need to make first for us is we need to make first prayer and the word of God. Later in Acts 6, it says, they prayed for them before sending them out. They were gonna send out these folks on a missionary journey and they paused and they prayed for them. Acts chapter seven, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Acts chapter eight, they prayed for the new believers. There was a whole slew of people who came to believe in Jesus and they stopped and they prayed for them. Acts nine, we see Saul who later becomes Paul and he is praying. Also in Acts nine, Peter got down on his knees and he prayed. Acts 10, the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. I don't even know what that means. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up into the spiritual realm, into the place of God, and, and they have come as a memorial offering to God. The only thing that comes to mind for me is there's this place in Revelation that talks, it gives it kind of pulls back the curtain on God's throne room, if you will. And it says that there's these bowls and in those bowls are the prayers of the saints. And I remember first reading that when I was early in my Christian journey and thinking, God keeps my prayers. Of all the things that he could keep, all my striving, all my doing, all the things that I'm trying to do right for God. He keeps my prayers. That's good news. Again, in Acts 10, it says, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Acts 12, the church was earnestly praying to God. Later in Acts 12, many people had gathered and they were praying. Acts 13, after they fasted and prayed. Acts 14, with prayer and fasting, they committed the elders to the Lord. They committed these leaders to the Lord with prayer and with fasting. Luke, um, Acts chapter 16, this is where Luke kind of inserts himself because he was a part of some of these journeys. So he uses this lang language of we, and he says in Acts 16, we expected to find a place of prayer. Later, he says, we were going to a place of prayer. They kept going to places of prayer. Again, in Acts 16, says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and they were in prison. Acts 20, 
Paul knelt down with all of them and he prayed. Acts 21, there on the beach, he knelt to pray. Acts 22, Paul tells of returning to Jerusalem and praying in the temple. Acts 26, Paul prays for his listeners. Acts 27, fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they were in a boat, they prayed. Acts 28, Paul prays for a man who was sick. Almost every chapter in the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters and I think it's 35 times prayer is mentioned. That was the first thing first for that first church, right? So we don't wanna just talk about prayer. We don't wanna just do a sermon on prayer. We want to pray. Tim Keller defines prayer this way. He says, prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Keller says, all prayer is responding to God. To be in relationship is to be in conversation. To be in relationship with God is to be in conversation with God, to come to know God, to find God, to discover God, is to have a conversation with God. Where are you? Are you real? What are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? Why are you not doing it that way? The first church depended upon their relationship with God. And we wanna be just like them. And I know the history of Menlo Church is filled with prayer. It's a community for 147 years has been praying, right? This is a church committed to prayer. It's not the only thing that that first church did, but it is the first thing that they did. And so I wanna invite you, for us as a community, we're limping a little bit. We're limping. We're limping because of what's going on in the world. We're limping because of what's going on at our church. We're limping because what's happening in our communities. And so we want to be that community that continues making prayer the first thing, that we pray for our church, that we pray for our community, that we pray for our world. And so I'm so encouraged that our staff and our elders and many of our leaders and key volunteers have already committed to spend 90 days praying and fasting. We're gonna start this next week. Next Sunday will be the first day of 90 days of prayer and fasting. It will lead us actually to Christmas Eve. It'll be actually only 88 days of fasting and we are not expecting anybody to fast all 88 days. But what we'd love is that every day of those days, somebody is fasting and praying for our community, for our world, for our church. And so if you go to our website, all the stuff's gonna be there. There's, there's a place to register to fast and there's gonna be a fasting guide to help you with that. We're gonna give you prayer prompts and there's gonna be a weekly prayer guide so that you can have a way to pray. There's gonna be scripture and 
Just a few little things to pray and then whatever you sense God inviting you specifically to be praying for. We're gonna, I know a lot of our campuses already have prayer meetings, but we're gonna add a central one the week after we start this on Wednesday nights. And again, there's a place on the website for you to get information about that and to join us on Wednesday nights. I, it's gonna be me and maybe three of us, but I need community to help me pray. So I kind of set that thing up just thinking, I just need a, I need a reason. I got to gather together that we can be praying together on those Wednesday nights. Some have asked why 90 days? It's not a magic number. Um, some have said, why, why not 90 minutes? Um, how about uh, seven days? But we just believe that God is calling us to a substantial call of prayer and fasting. And I really believe with all my heart, and I know our leadership believes this, that we're gonna look back and we're gonna look back in years to come and we're gonna say, remember that time we prayed and fasted for 90 days? That's gonna mark us as a church, as a community. And I trust that it will mark our world as we lift up all the needs I was listening to a podcast that a friend sent me recently and it was an interview with a a pastor in New York City and he was talking about COVID and this whole situation and his whole family had gotten COVID. And he said two things that I have, I've not been able to shake. The first was, he said, I was, I'm, I'm thinking about COVID and how we as a church are responding to this. And he said, I was kind of imagining someday if I have grandkids and they might ask me, Grandpa, what were you doing in 2020? And he said, I don't wanna just give them a list of Netflix shows I watched and nothing against Netflix. Love Netflix, thank God for Netflix. But it struck me, what's our response in this moment? And then he told the story of a missionary in China in the early, mid-1900s, this guy named James Frazier, who had taken the good news of Jesus into the foothills of the Himalayas. And he he had seen little churches pop up and he was ministering to these churches. And, um, and, And then winter hit. And he wasn't able to get back up into those mountains, into those foothills to minister to these new believers and these new new churches. And so he was wrestling with it. And he, he was asking God, what are you doing? And he felt like God was inviting him to an experiment. He thought, what would happen if I spent the time that I would have spent gathering with those new believers and instead I would just pray for them? And so the blog says this, it said, so he prayed for three to five days for each of these new churches instead of visiting them. And then once the spring sun had melted the snow, he he climbed the mountains to discover what had happened. And this is what it said. He discovered that his little churches of these new believers had actually prospered during those winter months when he wasn't able to gather with them. In fact, as he met with them, it says, as he met with them to hear about their winter Bible readings and their isolated prayer times, he came to the remarkable conclusion that they had grown far more during the winter than the believers that he had been gathering with 
They had grown far more during that time that he was praying for them. And so thereafter, James, this missionary, determined that he would never fret when he could not gather people. And y'all, it's hard on church staff to not be able to gather people. But this missionary said he would never fret when he could not gather people, but he would always seize it as a God-given invitation to pray for people instead. James Frazier, this blogger, goes on to say, never knew the full results of his prayer experiment. But many missiologists point back to that time as being the birthplace of this enormous revival that has taken place in China, that it goes back to those early churches in the foothills of the Himalayas. Every great revival in our nation and around the world is traced back to prayer. Christian organizations, mission organizations began with people praying. So Menlo, Prayer isn't the only thing that we're going to do, but it is the first thing that we'll, we will do. Will you join us in praying and fasting for 90 days as a church, as a community? Father, I just ask you, would you come? And would you give us your words and your ways? And would we follow in the way of Jesus who taught us to pray, God, and gave us permission to call you Father? in that prayer. And we say to you, you are our father and we love you and we need you. And we will be a church that depends upon you in your name and in the name of Jesus. Amen.